Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, Are We Really Always Doing Our Best? by Lama Kathy Wesley. One of the strongest teachings of the Buddha is the assertion that all beings have Buddha nature, the potential for awakening and freedom from the world of suffering called samsara. But how do we cope when we fall short of our potential? And how do we cope with the negativities of others when they challenge us? If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks very much. Uh, really appreciate everybody being here today. Um, my name is Kathy Wesley, and uh, I'm one of the staff here, and it's wonderful to say hello to all of you today and uh, to have you be part of our program today. Uh, today, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, those, um, those words that can strike both uh, happiness and fear in people's hearts, and that is inner potential. <laughs> For some people, the idea of having in inner potential and having somebody tell you you have inner potential reminds me or reminds one of all of the negative, weird things they got from their family. Like, you know, you have so much potential, and then you're waiting for them to say, but. Anyway, uh, so a lot of people, uh, when they hear about inner potential, they, they immediately go to the positive saying, ta-da, and a lot of people, when they hear about inner potential, they'll go, oh, no, <laughs> just more expectations upon me. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're also going to talk about a mysterious teaching that I'm still, I'm still puzzling over that I got a number of years ago. When, when I, when I, uh, I, I love people. Aren't we the best thing going? Yeah, we are the best. We are totally the best thing going. Um, <laughs> props. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, a, a really interesting teaching I got several years ago when I was visiting His Eminence Thai Situ Rinpoche, a great lama one of the uh, most important lamas of our tradition of Buddhism. And he said this incredibly emphatic statement that I've been like scratching my head over ever since. So we're gonna talk about a teaching that made me feel puzzled. So hopefully you guys can help me figure it out, okay? No pressure, no pressure. Okay, so we're gonna begin as we usually do with the prayer of uh, uh, dedicating this session to goodness. And so that's the refuge prayer. Uh, we will uh, recite it uh, two times in English and then a third time in Tibetan. And by the way, I wanna, um, I wanna call attention to the fact that uh, it's a little cool in the room here, but it's okay, nobody has to change it. But I wanted to explain to you why it's, it's cool. And it's because we're working on the humidity in the room. And one of, the, one of the experiments is keeping the room a little cooler to see if the air conditioning can draw some of the moisture out of the air. It's for the, it's for the long-term health 
of our wonderful hardwood floor. We're trying to extend its life, you know, more than a year, you know. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry if you're a little cold. We should start, hey, you know, I'll tell you what, Julian, we have to start doing what they do in the monasteries in northern India and, like, have a, a supply of lap robes, you know. <laughs> All right, she's like, yeah. That's, a, that's something the shrine keeper can get behind. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can do crochet. That's, I'm, I'm for that. Okay, we'll recite this refuge prayer. Uh, twice in English and uh, once in Tibetan. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. Or Sanje Chodan Soji Chodnahamla Chang Chu Pardu Dani Kyapsuchi Daji Jin Soji Okay, thanks very much. All right. So the um, the 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 talk uh, has to do with uh, the question, uh, uh, answering the question, are we always, really, always doing our best? This is uh, because these are phrases that come back to us from our childhood, aren't they? And uh, sometimes they come back to us with good feelings, and sometimes they come back to us with, uh, we'll call them complicated feelings. So um, all of this began because uh, of, the, um, of a teaching that I got from Kempo Kartharibache a number of years ago. Um, he told us that we all had great inner potential. And he did it in a very non-threatening, you know, non-expectation kind of way. He said, if only you knew who you really were, if only you knew who you really were and what you were capable of inside, he said, you would be astounded. You'd be astounded. And, uh, and he said that there is a spark of goodness in all of us. And this spark of goodness, if it is tended, will give rise to and give birth to feelings of satisfaction and well-being within ourselves that surpass any known physical or emotional comfort. 
And so that was mystery number one. Really? Do we really have a spark of goodness in us? Many people, myself included, grew up with a family church that said something different. That humanity was basically bad and that we had to spend all of our lives getting past that and you know, somehow making up for that and getting past that basic badness. So uh, I have to say that as a previous and now recovering Catholic, that it was so delightful to hear somebody say that there was a spark of goodness in me. That it, and, and furthermore, not just that there was a spark of goodness, but that if I tended that spark and let it grow and, and nurture it, that it would turn into sort of a roaring fire that would feed my spirit forever. And I said, okay, sign me up. Where's the, where's the list? I'm signing up for this. And so uh, this was part of my development as a Buddhist practitioner was just hearing this. And at first, you know, I don't know. If somebody compliments some of us, I don't know if you go through this, but I kind of grew up with this not feeling good enough thing. It must have been the Catholic guilt. I meet lots of people and they tell me, oh yeah, I have Catholic guilt. But then there's also, I found out there's also Lutheran guilt. There's Lutheran guilt and there's Jewish guilt. And there's so many different kinds of guilt. Oh, Baptist guilt. There, we have all kinds of guilt. So, um, so as a result, when you first hear a compliment, the first thing you want to say is, nah, 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 you, nah, 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 not me, no, no. Other people, maybe, not me, mm -mm. Well, what's interesting about this spark of goodness teaching, that spark of goodness teaching helps with that feeling. And I'll tell you how. Because if we have that spark of goodness within us, that means that if somebody is complimenting us, it's because they're seeing something that comes from that spark. Maybe they're seeing our own kindness. Or maybe they're even seeing their own kindness reflected in us or their admiration reflected in us. And I think that my, my mother used to say, if you see a quality in someone, it's because you have that quality too and you admire it. And I'm like, Mom, why didn't you say this to me when I was small? But the fact of the matter is, she finally said it, which was really good. It's like, love you, Mom. Um, but when we hear compliments, we can then attest it to the other person seeing something in us that comes from that inner spark. Maybe our inner spark is kind of like going, P -p 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 and it's not really going anywhere just yet, but it's there and we can't take it away. It won't go anywhere. It's there permanently. And, uh, and so if we can nurture it, it turns into something more. And, um, and so if someone compliments us, we at first turn it away thinking, oh, well, that's not me. But if we can subscribe to the theory that we have basic goodness within us, then we can say, well, they're just complimenting my basic goodness, no harm done, you know. 
no harm done. We can, they can compliment my basic goodness. I, I can, that's fine. Maybe that will help my basic goodness grow. And, uh, and so I think this is something that helped me a, a lot. This is something that helped me a lot was to know about this inner goodness. So I wanted to know more about this inner goodness. And so I learned a little bit about it. And that is that because Buddhists are a little bit parochial uh, in their outlook, they call it Buddha nature. So they don't call it Lutheran nature. They call it Buddha nature. You know, they call it that. And, uh, and what it is in the definition that you can read in the encyclopedia, you know, is that Buddha nature is the mind's capacity, your mind's capacity to know itself and to know itself completely. That's where, you, where your value comes from. It's something you were born with and no one can take away from you, which is that you have a mind that, can't, that can know things other than the stuff they teach you in school. You know, we know a lot of stuff from school. I mean, I don't know about you, but I did like, what is it, 16 years of education? And I, I turned out kind of okay. <laughs> but um, I'll never forget something my teacher said to me once when we were struggling to learn Tibetan language before we did the three-year retreat. And he says, he says, oh, I don't blame you guys for this being hard for you. I don't blame you. I blame your education system. And I'm like, what? And he says, you know, they fill your head with all these facts and you have to repeat all these facts. He says, and what good does that do you? He said, you know, if, if, at least in monastery school, you learn how to do, how to meditate, you know, anyway. But, uh, but for us, the, the, the method of learning how to expand that spark be, begins with knowing that we have it. If we know we have it, then that helps us to begin. And that minds, that we have a mind and we already know that we have a mind because it thinks a lot of things, some of which are useful. I don't know about your mind, but some of which are useful and some of which are not. But if we can work hard to nurture and expand the useful and helpful part of our mind and practice the self-knowledge that comes from meditation, we can go uh, a lot further uh, with this idea of our basic goodness being expandable. It's not that it's expanding, but our knowledge of how to work with it is expanding. It's always there. Your basic goodness is always there. Right now, it just doesn't take up a lot of your time. Your, your time is a little bit, you're a little occupied right now, trying to make a living, trying to take care of your family, trying to do what you need to do. You're busy, and that's completely understandable. One time, Kimbo Carthur Rinpoche gave a talk about how everyone is exactly alike in one way, and that is they have to work hard to make a living, that everybody has to work hard to make a living and to make their way in the world and to be happy. So he said, everyone who you see running around in the street, if you take a moment and reflect on it, he said, you'll discover that they are just like you in that they are trying to be happy. 
They're running around and doing this and doing that and buying this and buying that. And they're like talking this and talking that. They're all trying to be happy in their own way. And he said that's why in Tibet, in Tibetan language, the word for sentient being is drowa, which in English letters we would spell D-R-O-W-A, drowa. And it means literally those who go. Those who go. Going here, going here, doing this, doing that. And so Drowa, we're all working hard to be happy. Not knowing that that spark of happiness and goodness is inside, we go outside. And we look for it out there. Maybe it's this thing, maybe it's that thing, maybe it's this job, or maybe it's this person in my life. If I have this, if I have this, if I have this, if I have this, then everything's going to be okay for me. But the Buddha's philosophy was a little bit different. He said, if you can become at peace in your own mind and make peace with your own mind, then happiness will arise from you within, that the externals of your life will not be as um, oppressive to you. It's not that we need to ignore the difficulties of life. He's not saying that, but he's saying to look for the source of your happiness inside you. Because he basically, his teachings say that's where it comes from anyway. I have a lot of friends in the 12-step tradition, and, one, and I really love the slogans of the 12-step tradition because my dad quoted a, quite a few of them to me while he was alive. And one of the things he said was, happiness is an inside job. That was one of his slogans that his sponsor gave him. Happiness is an inside job. In other words, if we can bring about more stability and peace inside of ourselves. That stability and peace will communicate to others through our demeanor. And it will allow us to connect with people in a very genuine way. So, we've got this inner wealth, this inner potential, and the practice of meditation can help us to sort of unlock that potential by allowing our chattering mind that tells us we gotta go here and go here and do this and do that, quieting the chattering mind down even just a little bit will allow us to live out of that center of goodness that's within us. But we can add to that. Kempo Karthar Rinpoche, his other teaching on this inner potential um, was that if we can build an interior attitude of kindness, an interior attitude of kindness and love for ourselves, and an inner attitude of kindness and love for others. He said it begins with just the wish. He said it begins with, if we can do that, we'll have great, greater happiness. That was his point. If we can build this wish, and, and he, he briefed it down to one little wish. He said, wish for others to be happy. Wish for others to be happy. And he said, what he says, you know, he said this may seem a little childlike or childish 
to say, may everybody be happy, you know, may we all be happy. You know, it may seem a little bit childish, he said, but he said, just holding that wish, even if you can't carry it out, just hold the wish, hold it in your heart. And he said, it will begin, it will start an engine. He used the word like engine, like, oh no, he used the word momentum. It will start a momentum of goodness within you that will eventually, he said, become self-sustaining. And I believe this is true because everything we do is built on our habits. You've got them, I've got them, we all have habits. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but we have habits, right? And so if we can build a habit, we can build, uh, if we can build a bad habit, we can build a good habit. And so thinking of that wish to be of benefit to others will help us in several different situations. One situation is a situation in which we cannot help someone. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel so helpless when I see people who are suffering and I don't know what to do because I don't have the know-how to, to know what that person needs. I don't have, I don't know that. I don't know, and, and even if I did know what they need, sometimes I won't have the skill to communicate that to them. So sometimes I feel helpless when people are suffering and they're suffering like right there in front of me. So I think of the wish. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you be happy. I was confronted with poverty in a third world country I visited. A child begging for money. I know a little bit about the country I was visiting. And often children get run by gangs because they're little. They can be overpowered and made to do things. And they bring their money back to the gang. And then they get in trouble and worse. So if I gave the child money, they'd be in trouble. And if I gave the, the child money, they would that did not give her money, they would be in trouble. So I was frozen. Nothing I could do would help the situation except maybe to buy her some time. And there she was just looking at me. And she, and she had the desperation in her eyes, knowing what was in her future that afternoon. And all I could do, I was completely frozen and the traffic was starting to move. All I could do is just wish in the depths of my heart that she be free from her condition and that she be liberated from her condition and be happy at some point in her future. That's all I could do because I felt helpless in that moment. I could have rolled down the window, but I was like totally freaked out and the traffic was moving and I didn't want her to chase the car. So it was a complicated feeling. It was a really complicated feeling. On the one hand, I could have, and the other hand, I couldn't have, and it was like you know, frozen. So the wish saved me in that moment. It did nothing for her. That's the shame of it. But I felt like that was the best I could do in that moment, was look into her eyes. Don't avoid it. I looked into her eyes and made the wish. Hopefully, that was what I could give her in that moment. So we all face moments like this every single day where we cannot help people. But the wish, if we hold the wish 
holding that wish will then allow for something to happen good for us. And hopefully we will at least not be causing trouble for the other person. And so this, the power of the wish, I can't say enough about, because what happens is it begins to color your thinking. Your thinking takes on the shine of that wish. The wish is shining within you and other people begin to see it but not exactly be sure what they're looking at. Somebody said to me when I was in the restaurant the other day, oh, you're so nice because the, uh, uh, an older couple was just sitting across the aisle from us as one of my friends and I was having lunch. So across the aisle from us was an older couple sitting at a booth and uh, a butter knife came flying off their table and hit the floor near me. And, uh, and, I, and she was incredibly, the older woman was incredibly embarrassed. She was mortified, you know. This would not have been allowed in her childhood home, I am sure. And I, so I went over and picked up the knife and put it on the table and said, I saw it jump. I saw it with my own eyes. It jumped. And everybody at the table laughed. And the woman uh, got up as she was leaving and she said, you're so nice, God bless you. And I said, God bless you, you know? Thank you for saying hi. Because I helped her with a moment where she felt bad, right? Furthermore, at that moment, she thanked me, I said, well, you know, my husband and I have made a deal that as we get older and we start doing things, you know, forgetting stuff, dropping things on the floor, wearing clothes that have food on them, you know, stuff that old people do. I said, you know, my job is to say to you, the adventure continues. <laughs> the adventure of our life together continues. Don't get mad. You're getting mad is not going to change anything, but it will help you. So look at all the good things that can come from a wish. Just a little wish. So I recommend it to you. So that was the first mystery, mysterious teaching I received, that I had this spark of goodness within me that if I expanded it, it could, it could become a momentum of goodness that would like flavor my whole life. Even when butter knives come flying at me from across the room. So that's something that can happen. But then there are other moments when, as, as happened in, the, in the, uh, the incident with the young begging girl, that you still, you still can't overcome your own limitation in a situation. Sometimes that happens too. So I, I want to tell you about the other mysterious teaching because believe it or not, these two are connected. And it, it wasn't until I was thinking about how to structure this talk yesterday. When, when, you know, when I first started thinking about how to structure this talk, I said, oh my gosh, these two stories go together. This is what I call writer's mind. Writer's mind is a little unusual. It's a little nonlinear because you, you see connections where connections may not exist, but you see them and you try to put things together that may not belong together, but it's interesting. At least it's an interesting journey. I mean, when you open up a novel, you don't know where it's going to go. You just let the writer take you on their little journey as they're trying to figure out their writer's mind. So there's that. Okay, so the second mystery 
comes from a teaching I attended in India a number of years ago with His Eminence Thay Sita Rinpoche. And he made a point of telling us, you know, you are Buddha. He made a point of saying, you are Buddha. And I, for, lucky for me, I, was, I had already heard the spark of goodness teaching. And I like, well, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, may not be Buddha right this minute, but it's coming along, you know. But one of the other things he said is, everyone is always doing their best. Everyone is always doing their best. For when, when I hear this, all kinds of complicated feelings arise in me. You know, first it, I, it, I feel like, that means I'm always doing my best. Or am I? Is my Catholic guilt telling me that I am not always doing my best? Or maybe it's that friend of mine who said, you could have done better. And you know, so forth and so on, do better. And you know, what, how do I feel when I hear everyone is always doing their best? Are they excusing bad behavior? What's going on with that? You know, anyway. So I had to puzzle over this one too. Everyone is always doing their best. And he said it with such conviction, like, like an enlightened being says something with conviction. And so like if he's supposedly an enlightened being and what he's saying, okay, you know, it must be true. Everyone is always doing that. So I really reflected on this very deeply. I reflected on this very deeply. And it occurred to me, this is where the, these two teachings meet. We are all working as hard as we can to be happy in this world. But we are carrying with us every habit, every thought, every word, every emotion, every action that we have ever done, we're carrying it with us as our, what I like to call our karmic makeup. We all have this personal karmic makeup that is born from our karma or action, cause and result from this life, as well as all of the actions and causes and results of our previous lives. And if, and if you're, if you're, um, if you only believe in one life, you you don't have very much to look back on, you know. You, you, it, but at least in the years you've lived this life, you've done and said and been and thought a lot of things, right? But if you add in the Buddhist teaching that we've all lived billions of lifetimes before this, we've got a lot to think about. Have you ever wondered where some of those weird dreams you have come from? It's probably from the backlog. You, you have no idea what's in that back catalog. There's a bunch back there. And it's just waiting to come up, just waiting its turn. And then boom, you're gonna dream about doing something really strange, like talking to a donkey or something. I mean, you know, we have dreams about the strangest things, right? Or we end up doing and saying the strangest things in dreams. And it, it's all from the back catalog back there in previous lifetimes. So what this means is that he's right. Taisitrimbache is right. We are actually, at any given moment, doing and being the best that we can be and do in that particular moment, given our karmic makeup, our personal, what I like to call our personal style of confusion, I don't know if you've heard me teach about this before, but uh, instead of saying the words karmic makeup, your habits from 
previous lives or whatever, I sometimes talk about um, uh, our personal style of confusion. Like the way we tend to react to things. You might know a little bit about this. You might know a little bit about this from your own life. You know, if you might be having a really great day and then somebody just out of nowhere for no reason calls you stupid and you go, and it's like, oh, I'm a nice little demure person who doesn't get angry. And then suddenly they call me stupid and suddenly I went, and that's not me. But the fact of the matter is, it kind of is you. And, um, but what it is, is it is the power of those habits from the past. Um, I was talking to someone this week who was having some real difficulty in their life. And they said, um, they said, oh, well, you know, that's all over now. And I said, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? That's all over now? It's in the I said, whenever you say, oh, I'm past all that, turn around because it's gaining on you from behind, <laughs> poised and ready. Because <laughs> when you think you've passed something, you get this little arrogance, like, I, I've dealt with that, that's over. It's like, nah. <laughs> we, you know, we just keep doing these things until we find the healthy response. We'll have an unhealthy response and an unhealthy response, and then, a, then suddenly one day, ding, we have a healthy response. Thank goodness, because it keeps us encouraged. <laughs> But this is our life. Our life is made up of our karmic makeup from previous lifetimes, our personal styles of confusion, which are how we tend to react to things. And we, but we have a mind. Remember the mind? Remember that spark of goodness? I gotta have faith in that spark of goodness. It's gonna save me. That spark of goodness is gonna save me when I'm feeling bad about myself or I'm feeling like I am never gonna get on top of this bad habit I have. That spark of goodness, I just have to remember that it's there. And I just have to say, okay, Buddha, I am not sure where you went with that idea, but I'm going with you. <laughs> you know, the idea of it is that we can remind ourselves over and over again. Why is it that Buddhists tend to have shrines in their home? Why do they tend to have images of the Buddha here, there, and other places? And it's because each of those images reminds them of that inner potential that is coming to fruition one moment at a time. And so everyone really is in that scheme of things, given everything we're going through and all of the habits that make us act the way we act and do the things we do, in spite of all of that, we have the goodness and that we can actually begin to choose different behavior. We can actually begin to choose different behavior. We might, when we start getting angry, we might just take a moment just to be quiet, turn away from something for just a moment, get our breath and then come back. Or I was talking to another friend who had a, a little bit of a problem with some negative feelings. And there's an exercise I learned from a Tibetan doctor where you sit quietly and you imagine that all of your thoughts and feelings, no matter how bad they are, they just flow right out of you like a stream. And then they go through a gate that you place in space in front of you, kind of like the, the gate to a garden, you know? 
He said, the, the doctor was funny. He said, you're creative people. You can make it, you can make that gate out of anything. You can make it out of stone. You can make it out of trees. You can make it out of anything. But just pass all of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, no matter how bad they are, just pass them through there. Just send them out. He said, use your breath if you want to and not if you don't. Just let them go through that gate. And on the other side, they turn into golden light. And that's the golden light of universal compassion. It's born from the spark, y'all. It's born from the spark. That golden light of universal compassion. And then it comes back to you and saturates you and blesses you. And then it fills your house. And then it spills out from your house into the neighborhood. And then from the neighborhood, it spills out through the whole rest of the world. And that's another way to expand that spark of goodness. Even when you have negative feelings and people say, I don't like your negative feelings, you can say, well, I don't like them much either. And then just sit quietly and send them all through the gate. And in this way, I guess you could say we really are always doing our best because that's our best right now. And then five minutes from now, it will be our best right then. Just as in the past, that was our, our best in the past. I always say to people who have regrets about things they've done and said, I say, look, we would all like to go into the past and make ourselves smarter. But we, we haven't invented that method yet. So we have to only live forward. You know, we have to just keep moving one step in front of the other, in front of the other, in the other. And what's helped me about this, people are always doing their best slogan, mystery, the mystery, is that even though I may get mad at people in the moment when I feel mistreated, and I do try to speak up for myself when I need to in order to let people know that that hurt me, that the thing they said or did hurt me. So I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior here. But what I am trying to say is that it's helped me internally not hold a grudge. Okay, because I look at where that person is and what they're going through in life. And that gives me some knowledge that I may not have been considering when I thought of that person with anger or I thought of that person with um, uh, resentment, you know, whatever. So um, now, you, uh, so I, I could probably go on, but that might not be so interesting because I just start repeating myself as I probably already have done a few times, a few times this morning. But I want you to remember that when, even it, when you are at your worst, you are still doing your best. You're, you're trying, you know, you're really trying. You're trying to do your best at any given moment. And, uh, and, it's, uh, and if you hold that wish to, to be the cause of something beneficial to everyone you meet, they will see the spark, they'll see it, I guarantee it. Because as my husband once said, people will not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. And so if I'm talking to this, and by the way, the little old lady who, who, uh, who had the uh, flying butter knife, she was from Italy. 
She spoke very little English, but she spoke enough to say thank you and God bless you. And so if I can make the day better for one very embarrassed little old lady from Italy, I, you know, I can try to do that for everybody I encounter. I tell people, if you ever feel self-conscious, like somebody's looking at me, you know, like oh, somebody's looking at me and it feels really weird. Uh, what you can do is you can think, okay, well, may they see the Buddha. May they see that spark of goodness. May they see the Buddha. May they see my teachers, you know. Instead of doing the, uh, what is it, the New York City attitude? What are you looking at? <laughs> Take a picture, it'll last longer. You know, the, instead of doing all of those things, we could instead just radiate some of that golden light. Get that thing through the, get that angry feeling through the gate, please. So it'll turn into the golden light of universal compassion. So uh, hopefully these two mysteries, basic goodness and inner potential, and everyone is always doing their best, will be of help to you sometime in the next you know, few weeks. And then uh, when we get together again, you can let me know how it went. Uh, because I think, I think we all need to kind of help each other, you know? Which reminds me, I have, to, I have to bring a compliment to you guys. Oh, by the way, compliments are, are other people's, how I've reframed compliments in my mind so I can accept them. Just, I don't know if this will help you, but it sure helped me, is realize the person complimenting you is being generous to the extent that they know how to be generous. You know, it could be what somebody would call as like an offhand you know, compliment, like, yes, this was great, but that was awful. You know, but anyway, they're trying to be generous, and if you can accept that generosity, it helps them. Oh, so thank you. I used to write for a living, as I mentioned, and I would have people come up to me in the grocery store in the little town I live in, and they'd say, oh, the article you wrote about the puppies, that made me so happy. Or, or that thing you wrote about the little girl and the snake, that's scary. You know, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they would, they would compliment my writing, and at first I'm like, you know, no, we're not doing that. But eventually I realized they were being generous, so... I said, thank you very much, that's so very kind of you. Now, the compliment I have to give y'all is the, the uh, I, I hope you're not watching, but the guy from Houston who was here last week for the uh, Lama Tobden visit, he was so pleased with all of you. He was saying, oh, you have such nice people in the Sangha there. And I said, well, I'm gonna say we work at it, but thanks. And he just loved it that everybody spoke to him and they were kind to him and they gave him food. You know, every time he was, he said, every time I was thinking about a meal, food would appear. And I said, well, that's your, you know, that's your positive karma, my friend. But anyway, but uh, it, I said, well, we'll we just, we're not always there and we sometimes, mis you know, make mistakes with that. And sometimes people leave here feeling hurt and we don't like that. But when they, they leave feeling helped or feeling uplifted, that's, that's a joy for us. So I want to pass that along to you. Do you think you can accept that compliment? Okay, very good. Well, uh, I, uh, speaking of things like this, um, the, uh, I am I'm inviting you to a wedding. What? I know, that came out of left field. There's going to be a wedding here. Now, all of you at home on Facebook, don't, don't try and rush down here, okay? Um, but um, there was a, a couple, 
and they came, they started coming to our sangha to meditate and they decide they're going to get married. And so we had a rehearsal yesterday and it's at one o'clock today, which is why I'm going to end my talk slightly early so that I can get there. I can get things ready for them, you know, uh, but, uh, but I do have about, you know, five, 10 minutes for questions. Uh, so, and, and by the way, they said you're all, you're all welcome to stay. The wedding will be about 45 minutes. It's going to be, uh, they, they wrote it themselves and they timed it and it's about 45 minutes. Uh, so if you want to stay and have a cup of coffee and, you know, just hang out, you can do that. Meanwhile, what do you think about we're always doing our best? What do you think? You can feel welcome to ask questions or make comments at one of the question microphones. Or if, uh, or if you're on one of the platforms, you can uh, write something into chat. Because we have live chat, I think. Do we have live chat? Do we? Yes, uh, yeah, little by little, maybe, live chat. Sort of. Hey, hi there. Hey, thank you for your talk today, Mama no, Kathy. No, thanks for listening. So I, so I have a question. So like as a psychotherapist, I'm always trying to operationalize things. So I think something I have close, but I want to ask your opinion on this. Sure. Um, like I try to think that everything someone is doing or thinking feels either rational or justifiable. Okay. To them. Hmm. And then I'll try to ask why, which for me hopefully is the compassion piece of it. Yeah. Well, sure. And I think that using that construct that it, it helps us to uh, I think the reason that construct is useful is it helps you um, that the you know understand the behavior of others because they're coming from a different place than you right 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 and so you look at their behavior as being either rational or they feel that they can justify Justified. it in their own minds well yeah I think that's actually this these pieces do sort of fit because what they do is that they um, um, well, it, they, they uh, disengage our tendency to, I'm going to say a bad word, that, to demonize other people. Yeah. It, it, it really, it disengages our tendency to demonize people who we think of as having done things that are outside the acceptable. And it doesn't mean, again, that we're going to excuse behavior because as, as, as a judge I once watched, you know, a guy got involved in a bar fight, and I just happened to be covering court that day. And he was, you know, he, there was a there was a parade of people pleading guilty, you know. And so th this guy was pleading guilty and uh, to having assaulted this person in the bar fight. And uh, and he said, "But your honor, he he called me a this and that, or he called me a this." And and the judge said, "I understand that." He said, "But you know." Um, we have, a, we have what we call a civil society here. And what that means is that you cannot punch somebody out because they called you a name. What he said, no matter how, what they say to you, you gotta leave, that's your job. <laughs> your job is to turn around and walk away. And I'm like, okay, maybe I don't 100% subscribe to that, but I can see where he's coming from. So we can't excuse really, really bad behavior, but we can, we can understand why they may have come to that decision. You know, we, we can, I mean, and if it prevents us 
from demonizing a person, I think that's, that's important because we're gonna be in a better position to help them without the label. Sometimes labels help us to understand other people. Sometimes we put other people in a box because of a label. So it's like, a, it's both good and bad, you know, so we have to like use labels judiciously and say, well, that person is suffering because they have this or they have that. Um, I've met a, a lot of people who have traumatic brain injury, for example, and uh, their anger can go from zero to 60 in like two seconds. And, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault, but that doesn't mean that we can't help them in some way, so. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Okay, appreciate you sharing that. Anything else people would like to talk about? Yeah, we have time for a couple more. Hello, Lama Kathy. Hey. Um, so last week during the visit from the Lamas, yeah. um, there was the uh, refuge ceremony and they were explaining that one of the root vows is not to harm or intentionally kill other beings. Um, and I'm trying to think of the best way of maybe repairing that vow because I have a couple pests in my house that oh, I may yeah. need to take care of right. in order to keep everybody healthy. Right. And um, I may have to treat for them. Uh, so. And it means that the fleas die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. And you know, I have to tell you something. Um, I'll give you two examples. One is Kempo Kartha Rinpoche, my teacher. Um, he was taking care of everybody at our home monastery at Karma Triana Dharma Chakra up in Woodstock, New York. And, and the manager, the first manager was just a, a really soft-hearted person and never sprayed for cockroaches and uh -huh. you know that kind of stuff. And, and so the kitchen got overrun and they got a health violation. And so after that, uh, you know, Rinpoche said, I'm really sorry, but we have to do that. He said, you can warn them before you do it. Okay. Get out now. They may not understand English, but you're doing what you can. And then, and then pray for them. Pray for them. Because, you know, it is a karmic fault. It is a karmic fault. And, um, and so, um, so I think, you know, it's kind of like that, right? Mm -hmm. So in any case, the... Um, so I think that what a person can do in that situation uh, is try their best uh, to feel compassion for everyone involved and do what you have to do. Because uh, he had to do the same thing when he got to the retreat center at Carmeling, which is in a rural area, and there were so many mice that got in yeah. that they had to start catching them, you know. And, and they tried to let them go, like, miles away, but they showed up again. Oh. Anyhow, I don't know how that happened, but anyway, um, so, um, but yeah, you do have to do that. So that's one example. The other example is His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who has given a talk on this many times where he said, I know I have to be compassionate to all beings. He said, but mosquitoes, uh -huh. mosquitoes. He said, that's hard for me. And, um, and in fact, uh, there was a magazine article I, I read, a reporter went and visited with the Dalai Lama who actually killed a mosquito, you know, and then sat and did purification mantras. <laughs> so I think that if it's good for the Dalai Lama, it's good for us to okay. do confession, and which, of which there are many liturgies, 
uh, and, uh, and also to just feel deep regret after the fact and say, I'm going to do my best not to do this again. But, you know, you do, you do, what can you do? That's what Rinpoche said. He said, what can you do? You have to protect the health of everyone in your household. So Thank you. You just have to remember it's still a fault, but that doesn't mean that, you know, repair is not possible. I did that talk a few weeks ago when I did the talk, uh, there's only one good thing about bad karma. Yeah, that was that you could purify it. Uh, and going once, going twice. Okay, I just saw the bride out the door here. She's, I just saw the bride and groom arrive. They're, they're gonna run into this room so that they can start setting up the chairs. And they did say you are welcome to stay. So um, in any case, I'm glad you guys are here today. You know, I'm just, I'm glad you're here. You know, I'm, I do tend to be lonely, so it's, <coughs> that's, one of my, that's one of my habits. Well, let's dedicate our merit. Um, the dedication of goodness will be recited once in English and uh, once in Tibetan. We'll gather together all those, um, all those sparks flying off of our basic goodness and uh, we'll dedicate them uh, that all sentient beings are relieved from their suffering. It starts with the words, by this merit. By this merit may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. Oh, so nam dihi tam che zipani, tom ne ne pe nam pam jene, ke everyone thank you for thank you for being here have a good week see you soon thank you sound person thank you for joining us for this week's dharma talk we hope you enjoyed the podcast if you did please subscribe rate and review it on itunes to learn more about the columbus karma texum choling or to donate to support our dharma talk series please visit our website at columbusktc.org 
The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.